This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For other sermons from Antioch, you can visit the church website at antiochchurchnc.org. Now, let's turn our hearts to the Word of God. The cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against the Lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with him, and he, with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days Pharaoh will lift up your head from you, And hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. Good morning, saints, and good morning, uh, everyone who's watching online. Welcome. So I told the kids something last week that was only halfway right. It was halfway wrong, which is really better than my normal. Um, But I said that that when Joseph was confined in chapter 39, it says that, I I mean, he certainly wasn't in shackles. He couldn't have been in shackles because he was the the keeper of the prison, right? He was in charge. He had to do stuff. But 
you know, when you look up the word there, it literally means fastened or kept in bonds. So at least part of the time he was, and that's what Psalm 105 says. He, God, had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters, that's irons. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. So we saw last week that Joseph was falsely accused and he was put in prison, but he did not lose faith. In fact, we'll see today how he responds to two important cellmates who are put in there with him. And remember when we talked about marking sandwiches, you guys who were here when we went through the Gospel of Mark before Genesis, remember they're marking sandwiches where there is the point of the message that Jesus is making But it's sandwiched in between two illustrations or two stories. Well, this is a Joseph sandwich today because the message, the primary message, I think, in this passage is the appeal that Joseph makes to the cupbearer. But it's sandwiched in between these two stories, these two dreams. So let's look at the cupbearer's dream and then Joseph's appeal and then the baker's dream. So the chapter opens with an introduction to these two important officers of the king. These were two Highly respected men in Pharaoh's uh, command, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. When you hear chief cupbearer, cupbearer to the king, who do you think of? Nehemiah, I heard it. Nehemiah, right? Nehemiah was a, was a cupbearer to the king, a Persian king, Artaxerxes. And he had tremendous influence in that king's life. And that king, of course, helped, helped uh, Nehemiah establish the wall back in in Jerusalem. Well, the cupbearer to the king was an important man. He had many responsibilities, not the least of which was to taste the wine the king would drink before the king drank it. Why would he do that? Well, to make sure of its quality, for one thing, but also to make sure that it wouldn't kill the king. Poisoning kings was quite the rage back in the day, and, and it often happened through slipping something into the king's wine. This, the, 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 the funny thing about that in my research is that most of the time when stuff was sli- slipped into the king's wine, he didn't just drop dead, right? It just didn't happen. They didn't have poisons like that. Most of the time it was slipping in, slipping in, slipping in, slipping in, and then months later, finally the king comes down with this horrific disease that takes his life. Well, this guy was responsible for protecting the king's life from that poison. The chief baker, he was the head chef. He was responsible for all the food that would be presented to the king, right? And so this meant that the quality of the food and the gastronomical results from the food were on him, right? It was his responsibility not just to have something tasty, but something that would not cause the pharaoh to have an upset tummy. Well, these men had done something to deeply offend the pharaoh Perhaps he suspected that they were in cahoots and they were trying to take him out. And so they were put in uh, prison. Maybe he had a bad reaction to a meal. We're not told. We're just told these guys are put into prison with Joseph. And who is chosen by the captain of the guard to serve these two important men? Joseph. Now, some might say that's kind of demotion, isn't it? I mean, he he was the head of the prison. The, the, the captain of the guard put him in charge of everything. Everything that took place in the prison, Joseph was the man. And now he's demoted to serving these two new prisoners. Important that they were, they were still prisoners. And so it seems like a demotion. The other way to look at it, because it could be a discouragement to faith that way, is that Joseph had been given an opportunity to show himself faithful despite his circumstances. God said, okay, Joseph, you're in here 
and, and you've been given responsibility, but, but you want to you show yourself faithful, then do it in this circumstance where these two men who also don't want to be here, you're going to have an opportunity to serve them in a very special way. I believe the evidence strongly suggests that Joseph looked at it like that because, again, he did not sulk here. He served. He did not pout, right? He provided uh, sustenance and nurture and encouragement to those who were with him. His whole time in prison was an opportunity to demonstrate his faith in God's absolute sovereignty over all things. As we've said many times, God is sovereign over all or not at all. He's sovereign over all or nothing, Okay, and we believe he's sovereign over all. I read this week about a man named Shodanke Johnson. I'm not sure how you pronounce that, but he is a man from Sierra Leone. And he just won the William Wilberforce Award for Courage and Faith. Uh, it was gi- it's given out by the Colson Center once a year. His work as a pastor, church planter, reformer has brought transformation in his home country of Sierra Leone. Let me read this account, one of the accounts of when he was in prison. One of the times that I was arrested, I came to the point of almost death because my hands were tied behind my back and this commander was going to kill me and he was furious. He said, I'm going to kill you and when I kill you, go and tell your God what you have been talking about. Your God cannot save you. You are already a dead man anyway. So in that pain, I just bowed my head and I said, God, please, if this is my time to die, I'm ready to go. But please, God, give me courage so I can talk to this commander. At least if I go down, let me convert one more person for you and let it be this commander. And so I lifted my hand and I said, Commander, please, I know you're going to shoot me. But please, give me five minutes so I can talk to you. He said, go ahead and talk your nonsense. You're already a dead man anyway. He said, Commander, please, I want you to accept Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior. Because, you know, if you shoot me right now, there are angels who are all around me. They're waiting to take me to heaven. But you, if you die, Commander, in this state, you will not make it to heaven. Right now, if you accept Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior, and then you turn around and shoot me, Jesus will still forgive you. And he looked at me, and he looked at me, and he told his boys, Untie this man. Let him go. Something's wrong with his head. He's not normal. (laughs) So I was untied, and they let me go. But a few weeks down the road, the commander came looking for me. And when he came, he said, Do you know that the way you spoke to me that day, nobody has ever spoken to me like that. I go to my bed. I can't sleep. Can we be friends? <laughs> and, and through that friendship, the commander got saved and baptized. And two of his guys also were baptized. And today the commander is still alive. He is a follower of Jesus. And two of his boys are also serving the Lord. See, Joseph served the same God that Shodanke serves today. The same God that we serve who turned suffering into open doors to ministry, to opportunities. So the opportunity came one night when the cupbearer and the baker both had dreams, separate dreams, and they were troubled by them. And their faces told the story, right? And it could have ended right there. Joseph could have said, so sad, too bad. I I can see you guys are upset. Well, let me tell you something. I don't know why you're in here, but you must have messed up royally, no pun intended. But I'm in here for no because of no problems of my own. I didn't do anything wrong, so don't give me that sad look, right? Stop, you know, go pout somewhere else. He didn't do that, right? Their bad moods and their bad faces 
are an irritation to us sometimes, right? People in our own households, people in our own church. But, but David saw it as an invitation, not as an irritation. And so he asked them a question. He simply asked them this. Why are your faces downcast today? It's the power of a simple question. Instead of criticizing someone who's struggling, ask the question, what's up? What's going on? Well, I, can, I can tell you're sad. Speaking of Nehemiah, how did Nehemiah get to the king's heart? Remember the king asked him, why are you downcast today? You're not sick. And that opened the door. We can open the door with that simple question. We ask it as a question without judgment. We ask it not to make conversation. Joseph wasn't just passing the dentist past today by having a conversation. You know, tell me your troubles. He wants to know how he can help. Opportunity given, opportunity received. Right? Somebody said we walk, more by, walk by more ministry every day than we could possibly do in a whole lifetime. Why do we walk by when we have an opportunity to ask a question, to intervene, to, to help? So their answer is they're sad because they both had dreams and there's no one to interpret. And Derek Kidner says that, that at that time in Egypt, it was common belief that dreams were predictive. And a whole body of writing grew up in Egypt about how to interpret dreams. And of course, these men were in prison and they looked around. They didn't see anybody who could interpret dreams that they knew. And so they were in a bad state because they didn't know what these dreams meant. But Joseph knew something about dreams, didn't he? So he utters a foundational truth that would ultimately propel him to the number two man in Egypt. What is that truth? He said, do not interpretations belong to God. If God is sovereign over all, that includes dreams. Let me hasten to say, it doesn't mean that every dream you have has theological implications. <laughs> Most do not. Most have to do with the pizza you had the night before. But some do, as we see in the Bible, right? There are dreams that have theological implications. So G Joseph says, please tell them to me. In other words, I'm not God, but I know him, <laughs> right? And he can interpret your dreams, so tell them to me. God gave Joseph an opportunity to be faithful in another small thing, to interpret these two dreams, to demonstrate faith in his faith in God, which is never a small thing. Listen, young people, to do a small thing, to demonstrate your faith in God, is not a small thing. It's a great thing. It's a big thing, Right? To be obedient, to, to, to do what's right when others are doing what's wrong all around you. Demonstrate your faith in God. That's a big thing. And this would also give the, the, uh, Joseph more confidence in two years when he's given an opportunity to interpret a couple other dreams that are pretty important in his career. So the cupbearer tells this vineyard-themed dream that fits with the cupbearer. It's all about grapes, etc. And so, and so Joseph immediately receives from the Lord what the interpretation is. Now, please, don't try this at home, saints. If the Lord wants you to understand a dream you had, or even more dangerous, for you to try to understand a dream somebody else had, be very, very careful with that. And make sure that your interpretation of their dream is what? Absolutely and solidly, without a doubt, lined up with? Right. If it doesn't line up with Scripture, you missed it. All right, so don't try to interpret dreams unless you know uh, that the Lord has given you that opportunity and he's given you a, a dream that lines up with his word. So good news, uh, Joseph says to the cupbearer, in three days, that's what these three, three uh, whatever it is, mean. He said, three days, you're going to be 
restored, lifted up. He's going to lift up your head, which means you're going to get out of prison, and you're going to be lifted up. Now, you've been put down. Your head's been put down, right? And now you're going to be lifted up. You're going to be restored to the Pharaoh. And that leads us to Joseph's appeal. The meat of the sandwich is Joseph's appeal to the cupbearer. Joseph had just told the cupbearer that his life would be spared and he would be lifted up to the place he was before. And so he says to the cupbearer twice, two words in Hebrew that are translated differently in English here. One is remember and the other is mention. It's the same Hebrew word. He says to him twice, only remember me. And then please mention me to the Pharaoh. It's a simple request. It's a simple appeal. Joseph is not asking for a position in Pharaoh's house. He's not saying, hey, when you talk to the Pharaoh and tell him, hey, there's this great guy and he'd be a great number two. Joseph, he's not thinking that. He's just saying, can I get out of this prison, out of these shackles, out of these fetters? At least I'll be a slave in somebody's house, probably not Potiphar's. I'm not welcome there, but somebody's house I can be a slave in again and get out of these chains. That's all I'm asking, cupbearer. Just tell me, tell the Pharaoh who told you the dream. And he makes his case. And he says, first, I was stolen out of my land. I'm a Hebrew. I come from where the Hebrews live. Nah, I was stolen from there, right? And ended up here. Not only that, but I've done nothing to to get in. I got into that pit because I was thrown in there by my brothers. He didn't say that to the cupbearer. But he says, you know, I was stolen from there. And and now I've been put here. and, And I've done nothing to deserve this. So please remember me to the king. You know, it's interesting. He says, I was innocent when I was sold, and I was innocent when I was imprisoned. I am suffering wrongly. Joseph is a type of who? He's a type of Christ. I love this passage in Peter. He says, you know, if you suffer because you're doing wrong, well, I mean, what's the big deal? You should suffer. But he says, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure... This is a gracious thing in the sight of God, for to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Joseph is enduring suffering that is not because of his sin. And and we're, we're to follow in Jesus' steps because he also endured suffering. What does Hebrews say? For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him and, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Isn't that interesting? Joseph endured the suffering, despising the shame, and he's going to be restored and he will be sitting at the right hand of the Pharaoh. So the key here, saints, for us is we're going to be suffer. We're going to suffer. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We're going to suffer, maybe not, not like Shadanka or like Joseph to be put in prison, but we're going to suffer. How are we enduring that in such a way that we despise the shame and for the joy that's set before us, we endure that suffering? And that suffering can take many forms, physical suffering and suffering from, uh, from other things. So Joseph's suffering points us to Christ, and the test of Joseph's character and his trust in God will continue. That leads us to the final point, the baker's dream. Now, it's a good thing the cupbearer went first, don't you think? (laughs) I'm thinking if the the baker had gone first, 
game over, right? The cupbearer wouldn't even wanted to know. Ah, that's okay. You keep your dream interpretation to yourself. But God had it. You know, God's sovereign. He had the order just right. So the cupbearer went first, and then, uh, the, you know, so the sandwich wouldn't be missing the meat. The baker went second. So he's encouraged by a favorable interpretation. The chief baker confidently shares his dream, and this turns from Disney into, like, horror movie, right? It, take a, it takes a Hitchcockian turn here where birds are swarming and eating stuff. You know, you know birds aren't always used in the Bible to, to, to represent evil. In fact, Jesus talked about the birds. Consider the birds of the air, right? As, as a way of, of teaching us to trust God. We don't have to worry about what, what we wear or what we eat or what we drink. God knows our needs. So he uses birds. But there's one time in Genesis, the only time in Genesis I could remember where birds swarming is, is not a good thing. You remember that? In Genesis chapter 15, when God cut a covenant with Abraham, and Abraham fell asleep, and he wakes up, and the, and the meat is laying there cut in half, and what's swarming around it? Birds of prey, right? And Abraham gets up, and he, he, he runs them off, right? Because they were trying to devour something that God had prepared for his son Abraham. So this, is, this interpretation is deadly serious. The baskets are three days, Joseph tells the baker. And I think the baker probably got excited. And, All right, yeah, three more days. That's exactly what he said to the cupbearer. Three days, it's just three. Just have to be in here for three more days. And then he says, Pharaoh will lift up your head. Oh, it's sounding better all the time. He's going to lift up my head. And I think Joseph paused there. There's a dash here. I think Joseph, Joe, come on, Joe. Say it ain't so. Don't pause there. That's mean. But he paused. He's going to lift up your head from you. And you will be hanged, right? The, bugger, the baker at this point, he's bug-eyed, he's wild with fear. As Joseph describes his last moment, you'll be hanged and the birds will have a feast. Well, three days later, everything plays out exactly the way Joseph described it. Every detail of the dream, as Joseph had told these two men, happened exactly that way. On Pharaoh's birthday, isn't that special? So God gave him the meaning and through this, God gave Joseph hope and courage that his last days in prison were numbered, but not like Joseph imagined. What do you think Joseph thought when he heard the news that trickled down to the prison that the cupbearer had been restored just like he had said and the baker had been hanged just like he had said? What do you think Joseph thought? Everybody say it. I'm out of here. This is awesome. This is great. I am out of here. No more fetters, no more neck chains, no more prison food. This is, this is done. It's been a nightmare, but it's over. It's over. You know, we read that last verse, yet the chief cupbearer didn't remember Joseph but forgot him. And, and honestly, there's no human explanation for that. Think about it. You've been put in prison, and the expectation is if the Pharaoh puts you in prison, you're probably either going to rot there or you're going to be executed. Okay? And this guy was liberated, and it was because of a dream he had, and the dream was interpreted to him by this Hebrew guy that he met in prison, never seen him, didn't know him from Adam, but this Hebrew man told him the story. If you get out of prison that way, what are you going to do? I'm going to tell the Pharaoh, 
about the dream and who told me what it meant. I'm going to tell the officers of the Pharaoh. I'm going to tell my family. I'm going to tell my friends. I'm going to run down the street and tell everybody I meet. I'm going to go to my favorite hangouts and tell my friends there over a cup of joe, listen to this story. And this guy told me about it. It's unthinkable that this man would have forgotten Joseph. Think of this happening today. If this story happened today, in 30 days, there's a book written about it. In six months, there's a Netflix documentary on it, right? There's a headline, Dream Whisperer, on sale at bookstores everywhere. But no, this is the Bible, and this is true. And for whatever reason, in the sovereignty of God, that's the only explanation for this, is that God caused the cupbearer to keep that little tidbit to himself because he had more time for Joseph to go through suffering. And we're not going to hear another mumbling word about the rest of his time in prison, but it's two years long. He's going to be there for two more years. And for whatever reason, Moses is silent on that. God didn't give him any details on that, and so we don't know what happened during those two years. Because the cupbearer forgot. You know who didn't forget Joseph? I will not forget you. We heard this verse this morning from the book that Janet taught on. I, you know, Isaiah 49, God says, Look, even, a, even if a mom forgets her nursing child, which is unthinkable, it happens sometimes, but it, it's unthinkable. Even if a mom forgets her nursing child, God says, I will not forget you. I will never forget you, right? Your name is engraved on the palm of my hand. You are in my heart, and I will not forget you. And David, Paul wrote this. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And then he said, the steps of a man, or the psalmist said, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. The steps of a man, and that includes Joseph, and that includes us, are ordered by the Lord. I like George Mueller. I think it was George Mueller who said this. Yeah, it's not only the steps of a man that are established by the Lord, but the stops of a man. Not just the steps, but the stops. Joseph is heading toward the prison door, right? He's just waiting for it to open. All right, come on, guys. I know I'm getting out of here. Let's go. Open this door. Let's go. And the stops of a man are ordered by the Lord. He said, nope, Joseph, not yet. Not yet. I love you, man. I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you. But you've got two more years here. And we don't know why, but God had a reason. God had a plan. We don't know anything about those two years when his feet were hurt with fetters and his neck was rubbed raw by a collar of iron. But God was faithful, and Joseph did not lose help, uh, hope. He still believed that his dreams would come true of God using him, even in that prison. Let's close with this. Ever feel like you've been real, wrongly treated? Nobody in here has ever been wrongly treated, right? Right, we all have. When that happens, how can we respond in a way that honors God and points others to Christ? We're probably not going to be thrown in prison unjustly. People have been. But we're wrongly treated in other ways. At, at work. Maybe even at home. Maybe even if it's at church. <laughs> I'm notorious for wrongly treating people. How are you going to act when I do that? Number two. If a man, plan, a man plans his way, but God orders his steps, and sometimes his stops, how have you seen that work itself out in your own life? 
I've heard testimonies from some of you that you thought you were headed in this direction. I was one of those. I thought I was going to go this way and get into theater or do some other things. And God said, nope, this is what I have for you. Let's turn around and go this way. This way, young man, come on, come on. And you've been there. Some of you are there right now. Some of you young men and young women right now are thinking, oh, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. Right? What do they say when we make our plans? What does God do? He laughs. No, make your plans. Plan your steps. Delight in him, as the, as the verse says in Psalm. But be aware that he's sovereign over all things, including your life. And he often turns us in a different direction. And if he does, if it's him, it's all going to be good. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful this morning for Joseph and for the suffering that he went through unjustly because it reminds us of you and the suffering that you went through unjustly. But because of your suffering, Lord, we have redemption through your blood, through your sacrifice, through your unjust punishment on our behalf. And Lord, as we get ready to take communion and remember that day when you hung on the cross and look forward to that day when we will sit down with you in heaven. Lord, encourage us, bless us, feed us, fill us up. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. Antioch meets every Sunday for worship at 10 o'clock a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon. You can download other messages by Pastor Fox at antiochchurch.cc. You can also learn how to order his books or subscribe to his blog at jmarkfox.com.